verse number 10. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And uh, you can take that Bible home if you don't uh, own a Bible. And uh, we'd love to be able to give that to you. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. The Bible says this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Everybody say, through Christ. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with, with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full. Everybody say full. Paul says, I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Today, just for a few brief moments this morning, I want to speak to this subject, life to the fullest, life to the fullest. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much again for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the time that we've already had being encouraged through worship and uh, being encouraged through song, but God, being encouraged by Dr. Sisk and his testimony and his faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that as a church family, we would strive for that kind of faithfulness. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with us the next few minutes and the services to come today. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning, you can find a seat today. A couple of weeks ago, some on our staff decided that we were going to embark on a 21-day exercise and eating plan, and uh, we thought that we would hold each other accountable and uh, go uh, be a part of this journey, and a part of this eating plan was that we were not going to eat, eat any bread for 21 days. Now, how many of you would say that would be difficult for me because I'm a fan of bread, okay? Uh, that was something that was difficult for me. And uh, uh, during that uh, process, I went to In-N-Out, and I thought, you know, I've heard people uh, will order an In-N-Out burger protein style, and you can get it without the cheese and without the bun. And I made the mistake of thinking that that would actually be good, okay? I thought, I thought people talk about this, and, and I can get an In-N-Out burger with no bun, no cheese. It'll still be good. In my humble opinion, it was not good. I was disappointed in that. And uh, it was good for me, though, for 21 days to practice some discipline, to practice some self-restraint when it comes to eating eating because I have this problem and this tendency to be full and then to continue eating. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's a fine line between being full and being extremely stuffed. How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, you know, I can be full and satisfied, but if there are still chips and salsa on the table, I'm going to keep on eating those as long as they're in front of me. And so uh, it was good for me to practice some uh, restraint during those 21 days. You know, the reality, I think, for all of us, something that we share as human beings is that we desire to live life full. 
We want to be full. When it comes to our stomach, we want to be full. When it comes to having a tank of gas, we want a full tank of gas, right? Uh, when it comes to my cell phone, I want to have a full battery. Uh, when it comes to my bank account, I would like it to be full, okay? And uh, uh, all of us desire to be full in life, but intrinsically, I think it goes deeper than that. I think what we really desire is not simply to be full. I believe what we really desire is to be fulfilled. Because the reality is, is you can fill up on so many things in life and still feel empty. You can have everything that the world has to offer. You can have a full tank of gas, a full bank account, a full battery on your phone. You can have it all and still feel empty. And that's what Solomon came to discover in Ecclesiastes chapter number two, verse number nine. He said this, so I was great. Now, that's kind of a humble little uh, self-commentary there. He starts by saying, I was pretty great. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Solomon said, anything in life that I thought would make me full, anything that I thought would make me happy, I just went ahead and engaged in that. He says, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked in all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. Solomon said, I had everything that you could ever imagine or want in life. Every pleasure, I was able to experience it. Uh, when it comes to productivity, I built cities, I built walls, I built structures. Solomon said, I had pleasures, I had projects, I had done it all. Great accomplishments. And at the end of the day, I looked at it and it was vanity. He was full, but he wasn't fulfilled. And this is why I believe that the words of Jesus are so counterintuitive and they're so life-changing when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be, what is it? They will be filled. Can I just remind someone today that only Jesus offers eternal fulfillment and satisfaction in life? Because when you are hungry, he is the bread of life. And when you are thirsty, he is the living water. And when you need light, he is the light of the world. And when you are hoping for life beyond the grave, he is still the resurrection and the life. Only Jesus Christ can give you eternal fulfillment in life. You can fill up on what the world has to offer, but it will leave you feeling empty. And Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst after what is righteous, you will be filled. Now, this is something that the Apostle Paul came to know and describes uh, for us in great detail in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, he is talking about how he experienced life to the fullest and how to live a full life. In fact, uh, Paul writes this from a prison cell in Rome, and he's in prison. But listen to how Paul describes himself from prison all alone in, in uh, Rome. And he says this in verse number 18. But I have all and abound. I am full. Paul was in prison. And yet he says, I'm living life to the fullest. I'm in prison. I'm hurting. I'm experiencing trial and affliction. And yet, uh, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm full. God has been so good to me. What did Paul come to understand? What did Paul come to learn that we must learn today? Uh, Paul is going to tell us in Philippians chapter 4 the secret to fulfillment in life. Are you interested today? How many of you would say, I'm interested in being fulfilled? Anybody like that? I'm interested in being satisfied. I'm interested in, in finding peace and living with peace. Well, the answer might not be what you would expect. Because Paul says the secret to living a full life is to live a generous life. 
If you want to live a fulfilled life and life to the fullest, we must learn generosity. And this is the paradox of generosity, that the more you empty yourself, the more filled you will be. And so Paul writes to the church at Philippi who had, uh, had a history of being generous. The church at Philippi was a missions-minded church. And on more than one occasion, they were sacrificially giving. And so Paul writes to them, and he's encouraging them in their generosity. And he is, in so doing, encouraging us as a church to also walk in generosity. Uh, Paul was separated from the church at Philippi. They didn't have communication for about 10 years. And uh, the church at Philippi loved Paul. Paul loved them. Uh, the church found out that Paul was in prison in Rome. And so they decided once again to send him yet another gift, a sacrificial offering for him and his missions team. And uh, they sent that gift 800 miles from, the, from, the, uh, uh, from Philippi, a Roman colony, all the way to Rome by the hands of a man named Epaphroditus. They sent Paul that gift and his team, and Paul was so thankful for it, and he returns uh, this letter to the church at Philippi. And so this is where we are in Philippians chapter 4, and I want to give us a few principles today, and we'll go through these very quickly today, but I want to encourage you to uh, jot these down. Four principles about living the generous life. Four principles about really being fulfilled and living life to the fullest. Are you ready this morning? Number one is this. Generosity is built on contentment. If you want to live a generous life and be generous, that generosity is built on contentment. Notice verse number 10 in our text. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. By the way, it's no, it's no mistake that the theme really of the book of Philippians is joy. Because I believe that there is a direct correlation between your level of generosity and your level of joy. And if you want to live a joy-filled life, live a generous-filled life. And so Paul says, I rejoice greatly that now at the last uh, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I res uh, speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And so Paul is going to talk about contentment. Now, this is something that I believe that we ought to pay attention to because I believe that there is a contentment crisis in our country today where we have blurred the line between a need and a greed. And often what is a greed, we will do some verbal gymnastics and we will take that greed and turn it into a need. And we will say that we need things. But the reality is if we recognize today that 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day, we quickly gain perspective on what a need actually is. And so Paul is going to talk about contentment. And I want to give us three things about contentment uh, this morning very quickly. First, contentment is about perspective. It's about perspective. Did you notice how Paul said, in whatsoever state I am? He said, I know how to be a base, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And he says, in all of those seasons, I have been content and I have learned contentment. And so Paul knew how to live in poverty. He knew how to live in blessing. Paul knew how to order on the dollar menu at McDonald's, and he knew how to order a steak at, at Ruth's Chris. He said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Uh, Paul was certainly a base when he was on his missionary journeys. And he was stoned and beaten and accused and attacked. He knew how to be brought low. And in those seasons, he was content. 
but he also know, knew how to abound. When Paul went and started the church at Philippi, they started in a, in a home of a woman named Lydia, who was a very wealthy woman. The Bible says that she was a seller of purple, and undoubtedly, Paul enjoyed great meals and times together uh, with Lydia in her home as the church at Philippi was being started. Paul said, hey, it doesn't matter what season I'm in, whether I am low or whether I am on a high. Uh, he says, God has been good to me in every season. Can I just remind you today that contentment is not about your season. It's about your Savior. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so no matter what season you find yourself in, you can be content. And so contentment then is not about getting the next and the latest and greatest. Contentment is about perspective. But also contentment is about a process. Did you notice how Paul said, in whatsoever state I, I'm, I'm in, I have learned to be content? In other words, some things in life require a classroom, right? Uh, today, if I just decided and had the urge to uh, be a master at calculus, and I said, you know, I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to read a book and watch a couple YouTube videos, and tomorrow I'm going to be a master at calculus. You would say it's going to take a little bit more time than that, right? Uh, there's going to be more of a learning curve, a learning process. We don't just decide one day, okay, I've mastered contentment. Contentment is a process. It is, it is learned. It, it is something that we are trusting God with every day. And, uh, you know, in our country, in America, every year, we spend upwards of $73 billion on lottery tickets. Why? Because one day, I'll get lucky. One day, my problems will be solved. One day, I'm going to hit it big. One day, everything's going to be just fine. But can I tell you today that contentment does not come by way of luck? Contentment comes by way of learning. It's a process. I'm going to trust the Lord every day to meet my needs. And so contentment is about perspective, whatever season. Contentment is about a process. I'm going to learn this. But ultimately, can I tell you, contentment is about a person. Notice what our text says. Everybody still with me this morning? Notice what our text says in verse number 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, that's a verse that's been taken out of context many, many times, right? Uh, you will hear this verse in many different places. This verse is uh, often, you know, on a wall in a gym. You know, you can lift a little bit more. Just You can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you. And uh, you, you know, on a basketball camp or on a sports team, we're going to win this game. You know, I can do all things through Christ. But every text has a context, right? And uh, this is a, a verse that is a great verse on a coffee mug. It's a great verse that, that we can quote. It's encouraging. But every text has a context. And if you really want to understand the text, you have to understand the context. Paul was writing in the context of contentment. He was talking about a great trial of adversity. He was talking about how in whatever season that he was in, he learned to be content. And he said, you know what? Through any season, because of the goodness and the grace of God, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And so he was talking about how he can be content in any season. How? Here's the key. Through Christ. Now, contextually, this is so important because Paul chose this subject of contentment on purpose. In the ancient city of Philippi, uh, there was a group of people known as the Stoics. And to the Stoic and to Stoic philosophy, the number one virtue that you could attain is contentment. 
they often talked about contentment. And if you can be content, you've mastered the essence of life because you are not dependent on anyone else. You are not dependent on anything. You are completely self-sufficient. You are completely content. But Paul flips that on his head because he says, I can be content. I can do all things. But it's not about my self-sufficiency. I can do all things through Christ. And so here is the idea today, that we are to be content, not uh, because we are so self-sufficient and because we have it figured out and because we're so great and because we don't need anybody. No, we ought to, with humility, go before the Lord and say, I can do all things through Christ. It's not about my self-sufficiency, but it is about depending upon the Lord God Almighty and being God-sufficient. And so Paul flips this on his head and he says, if you want to learn contentment, you have to cultivate and develop your walk with Jesus Christ. And so number one today, generosity is built on contentment. Here's a second thought today. You ready for number two? Generosity is not only built on contentment. Number two, generosity is about partnership. It's about partnership. Now, let's keep on reading in verse number 14. The Bible says this, notwithstanding, you have well done. He says, you've done a great job. You've done a good job. Giving, can I tell you today, is a good thing. (laughs) He says, when you gave uh, two missions, when the church at Philippi was sacrificially giving to the missions endeavor, that was a good thing. Now, it's important that Paul said this because imagine if you were the church of Philippi and you had just sent a sacrificial gift to Paul and Paul responds by saying, hey, no matter what season I've been in, whether it was a good season, whether it was a lot or a little, I've been content. The church of Philippi might have thought, well, then why did we just send that big sacrificial offering over you if you didn't need, if you're content with a little and a lot? And, and Paul says, I want you to know that giving is a good thing. Generosity is a good thing. And uh, he was encouraging them in their generosity. Now, this is important because today, Many people have a skewed perspective on giving and generosity, and many people might even be cynical, like, oh, the church is all about money, and, and I've seen, you know, a pastor on TV asking $19.99, you know, uh, make those payments so he can put fuel in his jet, and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, misconceptions, and there's been some abuse in leadership, and we have to understand today when the devil jumps on our back and wants us to think cynically when it comes to generosity, that the Bible still commands us to walk in generosity, and Paul says, you have done well. It's a good thing. And so he says, you have done well, verse 14. Let's keep on reading. You have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now, the word communicate uh, is, is the same word for sharing. You, you've done well sharing and communicating with me, verse 15. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church. Everybody say, no church. No church, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You know what was more important to Paul than even a financial gift? The partnership. He said, no church communicated concerning giving and receiving like you did. Why? Because generosity is about partnership. Tonight, when we talk about some of the missionaries that we support, when we talk about Rick Martin in the Philippines and Jay Ballou in Thailand and Luis Lopez in Mexico, when we talk about these missionaries, you might not ever meet them, you might not ever go to Thailand, but we are partnering with them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so missions and generosity is about partnership. This is what uh, Paul is communicating. First Corinthians chapter three, verse number six says this, I have planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the increase. Aren't you thankful for that today? He says, I planted Apollos water. We had different jobs, but we were partnering together. And ultimately, God is the one that gives the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. It's not about us, but it's about God giving the increase. And that's the prayer and desire of our hearts. And so today, uh, if you want to live life to the fullest, we live life with generosity. Generosity is about being built on contentment. Generosity is about partnership. Number three, generosity is marked by sacrifice. Generosity is marked by sacrifice. Uh, Did you know that nothing great was ever built apart from sacrifice? Nothing great was ever built apart from sacrifice. And generosity, the heart of generosity is to sacrifice before the Lord. You know, it's easy, it's almost easy to give something without sacrifice. The other day, my son Luke, he loves milkshakes, and so I thought I would take him out, and we would hang out together, and I would buy him a milkshake, and so we went, and I bought him a milkshake, and Luke gave me his cherry that was in his milkshake, and I said, hey, thanks, Luke, and I ate the cherry, and I said, you don't like cherries? And he said, no, I only like to suck on them. And I said, did you just suck on that one before you gave it to me? And he said, yeah. I was like, okay, maybe you should have told me that. And, uh, and uh, so we, we enjoyed that milkshake together. And it was easy for him to give me that cherry. He didn't like cherries, right? That wasn't a sacrifice. What was a sacrifice is a couple minutes later when I said, Luke, can I have a sip? And he said, no, no, you can't have a sip. You know, that would require a sacrifice because it meant something to him. And if we are serious about walking in generosity, we have to take a look within. Am I willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Am I willing to give something that costs me something? Now, there's a couple things that we learn in the text that Paul gives us about sacrifice. Everybody still with me this morning? Notice verse number 16. Paul says sacrifice and sacrificial giving is about consistency. In verse 16, he says, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. In other words, generosity is not a one-time occurrence. It's not a, we did it one time and so we can check it off our list and we never have to do it again. Uh, Generosity is about consistency. He said, you gave once and again. This is what he said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 to the church at Corinth. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, The first day of the week is Sunday. The other church celebrated on Sunday because that's the day the Lord Jesus resurrected from the grave. And so they gathered together on Sunday. He said, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. In other words, let everyone uh, consider what they will be able to give. Let us put it aside. Lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. So giving should be proportionate. Uh, There should be no, that there should be no gatherings when I come. In other words, Paul was an advocate for weekly systematic giving. Why? Because Paul recognized that you are are what you repeatedly do. And so he says, hey, uh, giving, sacrificial giving should be consistent. It should be something that is reoccurring that you uh, continuously do. But not only should uh, giving be uh, consistent, but sacrificial giving is also about investment. Notice in verse number 17, he says, not because I desire a gift, Paul says, please don't think that, that, that this is just about money and getting money and it's because I want a gift. That's not it at all. Uh, can I tell you today that God is not concerned with, with receiving your money. What he wants is your heart. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Paul says, this is not about uh, a monetary uh, value. It's a, don't think that I'm concerned with a gift. This is what I am concerned with, verse number uh, 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And so Paul says, yes, giving is a good thing. Why? Because you are making an eternal investment. You might get to heaven 
Someone's going to come up to you and shake your hand and say, hey, thank you so much. And you're going to say, I don't know who you are. And they're going to say, well, I grew up in Thailand, and there was someone named Jay Blue that came and shared the gospel with me, and I got saved, and your church sacrificially gave and gave towards that uh, mission work there in Thailand. See, uh, Thailand. See, that is fruit that can abound to our account. See, sacrificial giving is about consistency, but it's about an investment. It's about investing into what matters for all of eternity. What did Jesus say? Jesus said unto him, Matthew 19, 21, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And so it's about an investment. But sacrificial giving is also about worship. Notice what it says in verse number 18. Paul says, But I have all and abound. I'm full, living life to the fullest, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Paul is talking about the church's sacrifice, and he uses language that would have been reminiscent of first century worship. When they would come to the temple to worship, they would bring a sacrifice. That sacrifice would bring a sweet-smelling aroma that would ascend up into heaven. And so what Paul is saying is when you are giving, when you are giving sacrificially, that is an act of worship that is a sweet-smelling savor to God above. And so he is saying that, uh, that, that, that sacrificial giving is actually something that we do in worship. When we come together on a Sunday morning, we sing, we give, we open up God's word. All of these things are an act of worship to our God who is worthy of all of our worship. And so Paul says this was a sweet-smelling sacrifice. You know, there was a time in the Old Testament when David wanted to purchase uh, a piece of land, the threshing floor of Arauna, and he was getting ready to purchase it, uh, but uh, the owner of the land wanted to give it to David and said, you know what, you're the king, you don't need to, to, to buy this. And this is what David said in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 24, verse 21. Everybody with me this morning? He says, and Arauna said, wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? Well, what are you doing here, David? And David said, to buy the threshing floor of thee to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arana said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of oxen for wood. All these things did Arana as a king give unto the king. And Arana said unto the king, the Lord, uh, the Lord thy God accept thee. And the king, in other words, he says, you can have it, David. Whatever you want, you're the king. Uh, whatever you want, you can just take, you can take it, you can have it. And the king said unto Rana, David said, nay. He said, no, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price, a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David said, I can't worship the Lord of that which cost me nothing. David recognized that nothing great was ever built without sacrifice. And so when we live life to the fullest, when we live open-handed with generosity, we have to recognize that generosity is marked by sacrifice. And this leads us to our last thought today, number four, and we'll be done. Generosity is rewarded by God. Notice verse number 19. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Again, this is a verse that must be read in context. He says, my God will supply all of your need according to his uh, riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, uh, this is not a blanket promise. Some people say, you know, no matter how you live, 
no matter what you do with your time, no matter what you do with your money, no matter what you do with your schedule, hey, however you live, uh, God is going to uh, meet all of your needs. But the reality is, is he was talking to the church at Philippi. This was not written to the church at Corinth. This was not written to the church at Thessalonica. This was written to the church at Philippi. And he was saying, because you have been so generous, God is going to be generous with you. In fact, I love this. Uh, uh, I, love, I love this in verse number 19. Because, because the Bible says in verse 19, but my God shall supply. Okay? I want you to take note of that word, supply. That word supply is the same exact Greek word for the word full in verse number 18. In English, we have different, we have different words. In English, in verse 18, it's full. Here in verse 19, it's supply. But in the Greek, it's the same word. It's this word plerao. And it means to fill up to the brim. And so here's what Paul's teaching the church of Philippi. You have filled me up. And so God is going to fill you up. Amen. You have been generous with me. God is going to be generous with you. If you want to live life to the fullest, give to the fullest. You be generous, and God will be generous in return. And so Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increased. So shall thy barns be filled. Everybody say filled. Filled, filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God is faithful to meet our needs. Aren't you thankful for that today? Yeah. I want to close by reading just a couple of verses in conclusion here in Philippians chapter 4. Notice verse number 21 as we close. It says, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly, they that are of the uh, Caesar's household. Now, you say, why is this significant? Remember, Philippi, even though it was 800 miles from Rome, Philippi was a Roman colony. In other words, uh, Philippi was Rome away from Rome. They were still under Roman persecution. They were still under Roman oppression. And here's what Paul says. Hey, we're greeting you and the brethren that are with me. We want to salute you. We want to say hello to you. Even those that are of Caesar's household. He's saying... God has enabled me to lead people to Christ even within the walls of Caesar's home. He was saying, I know that you're under persecution. I know that you're hurting. I know that the Romans are oppressing you, but I want you to know there are now people within the walls, within the home of Caesar that are now praying for you that have been reached with the gospel message. And so let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Keep on living generously. Paul was saying, hey, we are able to reach unreached people. Even those of Caesar's household are now coming to know Jesus. And so he says, keep on living life to the fullest. Keep on moving forward. Now, the greatest act of generosity that the world has ever seen is when God sent his only begotten son. He sent his only begotten son to live a perfectly sinless life. He gave his life so that you could live. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again three days later, later and he died in our place so that we could live not an average life, not a mediocre life, but life to the fullest, the abundant life, the best life possible.